Good morning. Hope everybody's doing all right. Um, everybody had a good week? Good? Good. Very good. Um, allergies are out and about. They came early this year, uh, February. I was kind of caught off guard by that last week. <clears throat> I'm on allergy medication this week. So, yeah, that, that is that. Uh, I ran across a... Um, something that I just want to show you the very beginning. Uh, at first, I laughed at it, just laughed out loud. And then after it, I was like, well, maybe, maybe I missed something, and there's something to this, right? And then after that, I just, because, you know, sometimes I could be the idiot. Maybe I'm laughing at something because I'm stupid, and it really makes sense, right? And so <clears throat> after that, I just kept on laughing at it and started to think about other stuff. So here's the picture right here. It's chicken drumsticks, and it says, contain back legs only. <laughs> and I, and I ju it just took me back. I didn't know what that was. Maybe that's a chicken like this, right? Or this, right? Could be that. Um, <laughs> also thought about if you went to KFC, you went up to the drive-thru and you went, um, I would like two back legs and one front leg and only right wings. <laughs> I'm here all week. All right. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Yeah, back legs only. Whew. Yep. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to begin reading with verse 29, Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. That's where we're going to be at, where we will be at. And this is what it says. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Now, I, I will tell you that this is not literal at all. I have, a, I, have a, I have a nurse friend that a couple years ago said that somebody in the emergency room came in with their eyeball in a jar, and because they, they had lived out this verse in, in their life. It, it really happened. That really happened. I just want to just tell you, that's not what Jesus is saying. So I don't want you to go out from here today, go home, tear your eyeball out, and then I have to visit you in the hospital, right? Or you cut off your hand and I have to go and visit you in the hospital. I don't want that to happen, and therefore you can't sue us because I made that particular <clears throat> statement. Disclaimer. That's right. I made a disclaimer so you couldn't sue us. So anyway, yeah, so it's, it's not literal. So, but what he is saying is, if something is causing you to sin, if something is holding you back from having a tomorrow that's better, you need to cut it out of your life. You need to get rid of it. We're talking about two, two tenths, and we have only experienced two tenses in our life, uh, the past tense and the present tense. And what you do today determines your tomorrow. If your tomorrow is going to be good, if it's going to be bad, if whatever it is, your decisions today really project that. So Jesus is saying, if there's something that's holding you back from fulfilling your life in me, you need to cut it out of your life. You need to absolutely get rid of it. You need to get rid of it. If you want to have a better marriage Maybe there's something you need to cut out of your life if you want to have a better work environment. Or let's say this, because you can't do much about your work environment. You can do something about your attitude about your work environment. That's what you can do something about. And so maybe you need to cut out something there. Um, but to have a better quality of life, you need to cut something out, Jesus is saying. If it's the I cut it out. If it's the hand, cut it out. Whatever you need to cut out of your life to have a better tomorrow, that's what you need to do. Now, we're, we're very used to this, aren't we? Kind of, in the health realm. Like, if you have a health issue, 
there are things that can be a part of your body that you need to cut out so that you will have a better tomorrow. Cancer is one of those, right? Some of you in the room have cut out gluten. I'm not making fun of you. I know it's an allergy. I'm not making fun of you. But at the same time, you have stopped gluten because, you know, you want a better day tomorrow health-wise. Um, <clears throat> not many people know this, but now the first service knows this and Everybody watching in, in this room knows this now, will know this now. Um, I've had some digestive issues, okay? And I've been trying to figure out what is causing those digestive issues. Gone to the doctor, did, did some stuff. And um, so I started doing this thing where you, you cut things out of your, your diet, and then you start adding them back, right? So, so I've been doing that for a while. And so I, I kind of hate to tell tell you this because it hurts me right, right here in the heart, but I think a thing that is causing digestive issues for me is Reese Cup Easter eggs. <laughs> I've had a moment, right? Had a moment. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I decided not to eat any Reese Cup Easter eggs because you had to eat Reese eggs because they were out of the hearts right before Valentine's Day. So they have all these eggs, right? I don't know why they can't order more hearts so that we could celebrate all the way up and then you could get them half off. So it really benefits me. Um, but it quit eating his shregs and bought some last Thursday, bought a pack of six because that doesn't last long. And, and, I, and I ate one. And lo and behold, my stomach did the little thing and there it was. And I was like, doggone it. But I haven't given up hope. I want to test it again this week just to make sure right? Because I love, I love Reese anything. Like if you put it in a shape, other than the, uh, the cups are okay. They're okay. But if you put it in a shape, I like it. If it's in the shape of a nutcracker, I'll eat it. If it's in the shape of a tree, I'll eat it. If it's the shape of a heart, I'll eat it. If they did shapes of presidents, I don't care who they are, liberal or Republican, I would eat that Reese cup egg. I would absolutely eat it. But it, it hurts for me to think that, hey, I'm going to have to cut that out of, out of my life. I'm going to bring that up because when Jesus says you might have to cut something out of your life, it is going to hurt to cut that thing out of your life. It is not going to be pleasant. I think we have a misconception sometimes that we can just ask forgiveness and, and get that forgiveness, and then all of a sudden there's a free break and we don't miss whatever it is that we have cut out of our life. But the fact of the matter is it hurts sometimes to get some things out of your life. It is a hurtful sort of thing. The second thing this analogy brings out, this picture brings out that Jesus is saying, it's not only does it hurt and it's very painful, but you're going to remember that you cut it out. You're going to remember it. The picture here is a guy bringing his eyeball out or a guy cutting his right hand off. Could be a woman. Either one of them would work. <laughs> um, and so you, that would be a reminder. Like the rest of your life, you don't have an eyeball. The rest of your life, you don't have a hand. So whatever you have to cut out of your life to have a better tomorrow, you're going to remember that it was at one time a part of your life. It is something that sticks with you. You will be reminded that it is gone from your life. Um, especially if you're entrenched in the sin. We'll get into that in a few minutes. You've been entrenched in it your whole life, and you have to cut it out. It is very difficult to do that, very hurtful, and you do remember that it's gone. The last thing about this whole cutting thing out, <clears throat> it's not really the last thing. That was a lie. The next thing about this is you have to be really secure with yourself and Jesus to cut that thing out. There has to be a security inside of you so that you can tear that out of your life and, and not be a part of it. You have to be very secure. So I would say if you're not a Christian, you can't have security without the Lord Jesus Christ inside of you. Unless you have a relationship with him, you cannot develop that level of security. But once you have Jesus, every Christian in this room should be secure enough to live for Jesus and cut the things out of their life that's preventing them from having life abundantly. And over the process of time of your Christian walk, there are things that you will cut out here that will let you 
grow spiritually here, and then you get to a point where this thing is holding you back. So you cut this out, and over a period of time, after transformation, you begin to cut things out of your life, and you become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how this thing works. So we cut it out of our life. You have to be secure enough to do it. I just want to start by saying I'm not perfect. I'm just giving you an illustration. This is just something that I did right. Okay, this is something I did right. There's a a small list of those, and this is one of them, okay? So when I was in junior high school in in eighth grade, um, could have been ninth, it was one of those years, I finished eating lunch, and I went out into the foyer area just to wait with, with people and just to wait around to go to my next class. And there was a guy sitting on the bench, and, and everybody knew who he was. He was the guy that sold drugs in the school. Now, everybody, if you went to high school, you probably knew that person, right? Okay, some of you are like, no, that's good. I'm glad. I don't know why I knew who he was, but I did know who he was. And so he was sitting there, and he offered me a, a joint free of charge. It was very generous. <laughs> very generous. Here, here, Philip, you can have this. And I was like, nah, I, I just don't need that. I don't, I don't need that. And so for the rest of my high school career, he never offered me anything else the rest of the career. There was no pressure, no nothing like that. In fact, um, my senior year in high school, I decided to kind of just float through it, right? So, So instead of taking honors English, where you read stories, talked about the stories, did all that kind of stuff, I decided to take general English. That was a mistake. Because in general English, they had spelling tests, diagramming sentences, grammar. It was the toughest English class I took my entire school career. It was just very tough for me because those are not my strengths. I can, I can analyze a story to no end, but man, it was so. But this guy sat beside me in, in the class, and when he came in, he would sleep, and at the end of the class, he would wake up and go to his next class. That's what this guy, this guy would do. So that was kind of our track. And so I, I thought for a long time, why did I just immediately say no? Because it was not a, a second thought. There was no draw to it. There was no, nothing like that. Why did I just say no? And, and I recently figured this out. It was because I was secure with myself and I was secure with my faith in God. That's what caused me to say no. I knew that that was wrong I knew it wasn't something that should be in my life. I had listened in church, all that kind of stuff, and I just made a decision not to do it, and it was because I was secure. I, Philip, wasn't concerned with fitting in with anybody. Just, just wasn't. And you have to be secure with yourself enough that you're not going to fit in. You're not going to do things just to fit in with people. You're secure enough with your relationship with Jesus and with faith. Now, I've done a ton of stuff wrong, so I'm, I'm not trying to say that. But what I am trying to say is you can't cut things out of your life unless you're secure in your faith with Jesus. You cannot cut things out of your life if your main concern is to fit in with other people rather than to fit in with Jesus. You cannot do it. It's absolutely impossible. But Jesus says, take the eye out. It's going to hurt when you do it. He says, cut the hand off if it's causing you to sin. It's going to hurt when you do it. And you're going to remember that you did that. So Jesus, in this passage of Scripture, gives us several sins that we need to cut out of our life. The most immediate sin in this particular passage is found just right above in the the verses before it. And it says this. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Lust is something that Jesus is saying you need to cut out of your life. You need to cut out of your life. And there is a difference, a remarkable difference between lust and attraction. I could do a whole sermon on that particular topic. Lust is this, attraction is this. But you cut lust out of your life. And when you do, it's going to be painful. And somewhere down the road, you're going to miss it. You're going to know that it's gone, this thing, this thing of lust. Um, man, I just, I just lost my way just for a few minutes. Okay, so, so, so lust, you, you cut it out. 
Here's what happens to some people in life. Early on, as children, they're exposed to things that they should not have been exposed to. This is why I'm a proponent of locking your kids' phones down, making sure you see everything that they see, especially when they're younger, and you, you protect that. Once they're 18 and older, it's their thing. Hopefully your training has got them thinking right, but you, you really protect them. But some people were exposed to things at an early age that really they shouldn't have been exposed to. And so over a period of time, that particular thing has started to get roots in their heart and started to grow. And so they become adults and they've lived this whole life where they were exposed inappropriately here and now they're here and it is a part of who they are. It is a part of who they are. I'm not excusing it. I'm not saying that it isn't sin, but I'm saying that this particular thing is something that becomes a part of people's personality, the part of who they are. And Jesus says that lust will prevent you from having the correct relationship with your wife. Lust will prevent you from having appropriate relationships with other people. Lust will prevent you from living life abundantly for the Lord Jesus Christ. And what you have to do is you have to go through the pain and the work of cutting it out of your life and leaving it behind. And once you've done this work, I know there's forgiveness, but God wants you to also, it's just not automatic freedom. You have to cut it out. And once you do it, and once the habit is gone, you are going to be on this side remembering that it was once a part of your life because it's no longer there. It's like taking cancer out of your body or cutting something out of your body that you don't need so that you can live healthy. Lust is the same way. You, you cut it out of your life and you know it's gone, but you're glad it's gone. You're glad it's gone. You knew it was back then, but you're glad it's no longer a part of your relationship with your spouse. You, you're glad it's no longer a part of your relationship with other people. You are glad that you're not doing it in the darkness. You're, you're glad that it's gone. You're glad that the guilt is gone. The shame is gone from doing it, from trying to do something for God and looking this way and having this tucked back in a corner somewhere. You are really glad it's gone, but you will have you will feel that it's missed because it's been a part of your life for such a long time. Do not allow the fact that it's missing to draw you back into it. Keep it in the cup, in the little jar, and throw it out is what you need to do. Just leave it alone, but you're glad. So, so lust is that. So what is le this lust and attraction thing? <clears throat> well, lust is simple. Lust, its number one goal is to acquire, and it's selfish. It's to acquire the thing that is lusted after, and it's very selfish within itself. It's all about me. Lust is. All about me. My fulfillment of my desires. What I want. And lust, is, lust is that particular way. Attraction, uh, and, and lust only has one level. That's the only level that it has. I'm going to acquire, I'm going to get, I'm going to attain, and I'm going to do it again, over and over again. It just has one level. Attraction, however, has different levels. Has different levels. Um, how many of you have a best friend? Raise your hand. Yep. Maybe you have a best friend. Okay. For those of you who didn't raise your hand, I am now your best friend. Okay. Because that made me feel sad inside my heart that there were people in the room that didn't have best friends. So, um, yeah, you have a best friend. Now, a best friend is not your spouse. I know, I know, and I, and I see it all the time. You know my husband, he's my best friend. Okay. okay. <laughs> that is a different relationship. I'm glad that you're friendly with your husband. I'm glad that he's your number one person, but oh, come on, really? There are things that, you know, you do on the marriage level that you shouldn't be doing with your best friend level. I'm just throwing that out there, okay? So, so you, have, you have an attraction to this person that you've decided to marry, but you also have an attraction to your best friend because attra attraction has different facets and it's totally different. Attraction is for other people, like you're attracted to other people and you want to help them. Attraction means you have something in common, right? You have something in common, Um Give an example. Uh, Nicole in my house loves to shop. I do not. That does not mean I'm not attracted to her. It's just, I'm just giving you an illustration. 
There's some of you in this room that love to shop. And so you would have a great time with Nicole shopping. You, you absolutely would. Nicole goes into, into a um, place to shop and she looks at this and she's like, oh, this is so nice. And she fills with the material, right? And then she takes it off the rack and she does this for some reason. I don't know what the elevation of it actually does for, for the purchase, but then she comes down and she finds a mirror and she, and she does this and this as if she would ever stand that way. Not really sure what that's all about. So she does this and then she, after she does all of that and maybe even tries it on, she puts it back on the rack and she goes to something else. I have been in Kohl's with her before and just thought, well, I'll just wander around that's what you have to do. So she's shopping. And when I get back to her, her arm is filled with like hangers. Her, I don't know if you know this, Nicole's arm is a perfect shape for a hanger just to hit right there. And, you know, if we ever run out of closet space, that's where I'm hanging my clothes. So, so she's, she's walking around. She has all these clothes with her. And I'm like, it's time to go. But she hasn't even tried on these clothes. And so we're going to be there a little bit longer. I do not connect with shopping. But you in this room that understand all of that would be like, yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. There are two people in our house besides Nicole and I. It's Quinn and Aurora. Aurora hates to shop just like I do. We agree that if we are going shopping we will walk into the store, pick out the pair of jeans. We might not try it on because I haven't changed my size in years. I will purchase, I will purchase the jeans and bring them home and be just fine. And if they're a little big, I will wear them anyway. It is okay. I'm not going to take them back to the store. That's the way uh, Aurora and I shop. So when we're asked by Nicole to go shopping, we say, no, we'll just stay at home. You just have a good time. However, if she asks Quinn, my son, he will go shopping with her, and he shops like a champ. Shops like a champ. So there's a connection. There's an attraction there. It's not inappropriate. It's just an attraction. It is something that you agree upon that you enjoy. I've been around people that are really good with sports. Like <clears throat> um, this past week, people have been talking about the Super Bowl, and there's things they talk about the Super Bowl that I just don't connect with. But these group of guys are like into it, and they've made a connection. That is an attraction. They come to that conversation to talk about that, and that's what they're attracted to. So there's a level of attraction. Lust has none of that, has none of that at all. It, it is a sin, and it's simple, and it's just to acquire, and it's really selfish. But attraction is like interaction, relationship building, connecting with people. That is what attraction is. And so when it comes to your wife, he says here, when it comes to your husband that you are married to, you are to be attracted to them and stay faithful to them and cut all lust out of your life. That is what makes a better marriage tomorrow. That is what makes a better marriage for anybody today. Cutting that stuff out. <clears throat> and so, attraction. Attraction. Marriage, um, relationships, family members, different attraction. You know you're attracted to different people in your family. Like when you have a meal, there's certain people you sit with and certain people that you wish were in the other room. Right? Because there's no attraction. So there's attraction there. So you... Attraction is what God has created us to be so that we would have relationships. So <clears throat> there it is. Tear it out of your life. Now, let's move on, okay? So let's go down <clears throat> to uh, verse 38, okay? Verse 38. And this is what it says. <clears throat> you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, <clears throat> go with him two miles. And give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, these verses of Scripture have been taken out of context many times to support pacifism, where you're just a pacifist, where all Christians should be pacifists. Never attack, never stand for themselves, never do anything. That is not what Jesus is saying here, okay? He's saying something different, okay? And to kind of unpack this, I want to start with verse 41, okay? It says this, 
If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Back in their day, the Jewish people were being oppressed by the Roman government. Now, I know that we talk in this culture about oppression way too much. And in fact, it is, we are not oppressed. We're just not oppressed. I, I think that needs to be a message. We're just not oppressed. Well, you're white, I, right, and you just took the conversation down. Anyway, I don't need to get into that. We are not oppressed. The Jewish people were oppressed. Let me tell you the difference. The Roman government had come in and taken over their land. They were an occupying enemy in their land. They were the enemy. They had come in with their army, with power and strength. They had taken over, and they were pushing the people down. That is oppression. It is when somebody has taken over your country, and they are pushing you down. They are uh, the controlling power. You have no control yourself, and you have to submit to them because they are more powerful than you. They force you to submit. They were the occupying enemy force in their country. And there was nothing that the Jews could do anything about. And that is totally different than what we complain about today. Totally different. And so Jesus is addressing that in this particular part of his Sermon on the Mountain. And he says, if, if you are made to carry someone's stuff for one mile, then you tell them you will take it another mile. There was a law in the Roman government that a soldier that was carrying something for a while or that was on his donkey, okay, if the soldier felt like that the donkey needed rest or he needed rest, he could choose anyone that wasn't a Roman citizen to take the weight of whatever he was carrying and carry it one mile. He could make them do that. There was a law that said you could do that. The law was very specific that it could only be one mile. The Romans had markers. They had a marker where you could start it, a marker where you finished it, and that Roman soldier could not go beyond that. So once you got to this marker, you would give him the stuff that you had carried for him the mile. So you need to play this out in your mind. You're a Jew. You're trying to get somewhere by supper time. Roman soldier comes your way and says, carry my stuff. You have to leave your stuff where it is. You have to pick up his stuff. You have to take it a mile to the next mile marker then you give it back to him, then you have to walk back a mile to get your stuff and you're not going to be on time for supper. So it was a little irritation there, but they had the power and they could actually do that. So what Jesus is saying, what you need to do is you need to, once you get to that next mile marker, say, I'm strong enough. I can, I can take this another mile for you. I want to do that for you. And it is at that moment that you begin to go the extra mile, that you yourself begin to exercise freedom and you gain power over the people that are oppressing you. Because that is what servanthood does. I'm forced to do this. I have to do this. But when I get to this mile marker, I'm going to say, no, I want to serve you today. I want to help you out and I want to carry this the extra mile. And you know that once you get to the second mile marker and you hand the stuff back, you now have to walk back two miles to get your stuff and go somewhere else. See, what often happens is when people push other people around and you get upset at those people, that is the moment that they grow in power and your power continues to diminish. But if you live in freedom and they tell you to do this and you're like, I'm happy to do it. And you carry it with gratitude and you carry it because you want to do it. That is the moment they do not have power over your emotions and who you are. You are living in freedom. It's a tough concept, isn't it? Tough concept. So what you tear out of yourself in those moments is your ability to complain. 
What you tear out of yourself in that moment and you leave behind and you cut it out of your life is your ability to pout the whole way. I can't believe these Roman people. That's what you're tearing out. And ladies and gentlemen, it takes a lot of energy to be mad at somebody. It takes a lot of energy to be irritated at somebody. And Jesus is saying, tear that out. Tear that out of your life, and when they tell you to carry it, you in your mind say, I'm going two miles. You might even start that way. Hey, I'm going to carry this for you two miles. Let's go. And you go with energy, and that is freedom. You can have freedom under oppression when you live with a servant's heart. Yeah, it's crazy how that works. So here's the next one. <clears throat> Go back up to verse 29. Says this. Did I say 29? I meant to say 39. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek. Um, slapped. <clears throat> this also has to do with Roman soldiers. Now listen, I want to be clear. I'm not saying anything about what's happening now. There's no parallel to this, to what's happening now, okay? But Roman soldiers would try to instigate fights so that they could beat people up, so that they could have a conflict with people. This is historically written down. We know this to be true, okay? And, and so what they would do is they would push people around, and if the people would fight back, that is the moment that they, the Roman soldier, could actually administer justice to those people. If the people did not fight back, even if they were not a Roman citizen, they could not administer justice to them. They couldn't do anything to them. They, they just had to leave them alone. But if they could just instigate them, and so this is a picture of a Roman soldier slapping and instigating and pushing somebody to the brink of snapping and getting angry so that they will attack back. And Jesus says, if they come around and push you around, just <clears throat> stand there and give them the other cheek. Do not take the bait. Do not give them a reason to administer their side of justice. That is what he is saying here. Be stronger, stay in control. <clears throat> I used to work at a, let me, let me give you a couple of illustrations of, about how this works. Um, I used to work at a Christian bookstore when I was in seminary. Uh, it, it, was, it was fun. Loved the people I worked for, still have a great relationship up in Lynchburg with them, back and forth, helped me recently, just, just a great family that owned life, New Life Books and Gifts, had a great time. But one time, it was the evening, I think it was a Friday evening, it was me, and, and there was a, a girl that was working with me, and she was as skinny as a promise. You need to know that. And we're working the counter, right? And this guy comes in to pick up his Bible. Now, back in those days, you used to get your name imprinted at the bottom of your Bible, right? Right? And so he came in, and I went to the drawer, I got his Bible, <clears throat> I gave it to him, and he lost it, lost it. His voice raised, he began to shout at me, telling me that his name was misspelled, and I took two steps back, because this is a pretty big guy, and there was a counter, I just took two steps back, and I said, well, I understand that your name was misspelled, but what we can do is you can come back on Monday and talk to the owner, and they will make this right. And he kept yelling at me to give his money back, but there was no way I could give his money back. There was absolutely no way I could give his money back. It, there was a process for that. I couldn't just hand out money to people that came in to tell me to give them, or you know, you, I couldn't do that. So I explained, I can't give you your money back, but I'm sure that Jim, when he's here on Monday and you talk to him, he will make this right. Well, it went on and on and on and on, and he got louder and louder and louder. So I told the skinny girl, said, dial 911. And the guy said, why are you going to dial 911? And he said it really loudly. And I said, because that is what we do when people are out of control. He stopped, 
picked up his Bible, and left the store. He did come back on Monday. He didn't mention any of that to my boss at all, and they worked it out. It would have been wrong of me <clears throat> to get in his face and shout at him back, right? It would have been wrong to do that. It would have been wrong to do force by force, but you stay in control and you stand. You don't run, you stand. And you handle things the right way. Are you tracking? So come at you. It's not a time to, you know, punch the fist. It's not time to do that. <clears throat> Second illustration. I don't know when this was, <clears throat> but it's a movie. I don't know which movie it was, but I remember this particular scene. It's in a prison, and there are wardens, and the prison people are in a circle, and there is a fight between a very big prisoner and a very little prisoner. And I don't even remember why the fight happened. It's probably it's part of the plot, whatever this movie was. But what I do remember is the bigger prisoner hitting the smaller prisoner as he's trying to def deflect the, the hits, the smaller prisoner falling down and then getting back up in a very dramatic way. You know how movies do it. You know, the music's playing, dun, 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 you know, that sort of deal. And he went down four or five times. And the last time that the guy hit him, he said, stay down. And so as a watcher, you're like, yeah, you probably need to stay down. You know, let's not get back up. But, but the guy got back up and stood again. And the prison person went, like this, and he walked away. I think the reason that that stuck in my mind is because when I was in high school, um, there were people that would fight each other from time to time. Did y'all have a high school like this? Like back in the days where there wasn't safe spaces, where we just decked it out if we got upset with each other? Like not me personally, no, I don't like pain. But other people, <coughs> right? So other people. So um, there, was, there was a fight one time, and it was in, it was in the gym, and there was a little guy fighting a bigger guy, and the little guy kept getting back up and defending himself just like that movie, except for in real life, what happened was instead of the teachers breaking up the fight, he had gone down so many times and he was bloody in his face that his friends pulled the guy back from the fight and calmed him down. But the little guy just kept getting right back up. What is remarkable to me about that story is later in my general English class, those two guys were now buddies. He went from hitting him down to respecting him because he stood his ground. Because ladies and gentlemen, there is some, some type of power that happens when you stand there and take it, but you still get back up. And it diminishes the power of the people that are trying to oppress you and put you down. When you just stand there and you take and you defend yourself, but at the same time, you are not trying to take them out. Is, is everybody following me? This makes no sense. Makes no sense. Like you're, Jesus is your fully makes sense. But at the end of the day, there's something with the humble that is more powerful than the proud. There is something with standing your ground in the right way that becomes more powerful than the people who think that they're more powerful than you. And in those moments, those people realize that they cannot take your freedom, they cannot take who you are as a person, they cannot beat you down because you are still standing in the right way. And they don't understand why violence isn't being, being um, met with other violence. They wonder why that is. So something very powerful. So you... You, you know, you choose not to respond. You do not let anybody steal your dignity. A long time ago, I don't remember when it was. Could have been in a, could have been in a, a sermon sometime or I could have read it in a book. But it struck me and stayed with me. And it's this. You do not have to attend every argument that you're invited to. You do not have to attend every fight that you're invited to. You don't have to attend it. You can choose not to attend. You can choose that. And that, I think, is what 
Jesus is trying to say here. If they're pushing you around, don't give them reason to come at you and um, do damage. So verse 40, verse 40 says this. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Obviously, there were Jedis in Jesus' day. Cloaks, yeah, okay. Yeah, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. What in the world does this mean? There are moments where lawsuits are appropriate. Two years ago, um, I was hit head-on collision, and um, uh, I went to the hospital that Sunday afternoon and got checked out. The insurance company, that was three years ago, the the insurance company that was handling the claim uh, decided not to pay for my emergency visit. And so I got called on the phone by the hospital right down here, and they said, Philip, you owe owe this amount of money. And I said, well, I was in a wreck, and so this insurance company should be covering it. And they said, well, that is what we have written down on our records. Don't you worry about it. We'll handle it. So I never heard anything of it after that, and everything was paid, everything was covered. Because at that point, it it was a moment where legal action was appropriate to get covered what the expense was that I had incurred, right? That's what should have been covered. Suing is wrong when we steal from people under the guise of suing. So if I, for instance, I would have made a mistake if I had sued the company or sued them, right? And got more money than I really needed to cover my expenses. Is that mean, or is everybody with me? Yeah, that is when suing becomes stealing. Well, in Jesus's day, that's what was happening. People were using suing in order to justify stealing from people. So if this guy over here had something that you want, you would get into a situation with him where you could sue that particular individual and get what you want for them in a legal sort of manner, but it was still stealing. There was no reason for you to sue them. You just wanted that thing, so you decided to sue. So that's what was going on in that particular environment. So Jesus says this, if there's ever a lawsuit that isn't right with you, and they sue you, and they take your cloak, I mean, they take your your tunic, you give them freely your cloak. Give them the thing that the court didn't tell them that they can have. When they come over to your house, I get your tunic. Okay, I'm going to give you my tunic, but hold on a second. I would like you to have my cloak as well. You just take that. Well, no, that's not part of the lawsuit. Well, no, I just want you to have it. And so you give to people that are trying to steal from you. Wow, I I just don't know. I don't I don't know if this is a good idea, but it, it really is. It really is. You have to be secure with who you are, and you have to be secure in your faith to do this, but you also have to have what I like to call an abundance mentality. An abundance mentality. Hey, you're taking from me, but man, I've got, I've got more than enough. I've got God and Jesus. I'm good. So I'm going to give you my cloak right now. You can have this. You can have anything you want. You, you want my collection of, of Reese's peanut butter eggs that I can't eat anymore? I'll give, you those, I'll give you those freely. I'll give you those freely. I will give you those. And what happens is the people that have sued you lose their power when you are generous toward them over and beyond what they are coming after you for. There's something that touches their heart. Even if they don't show it to you, there's something that touches your heart. And an abundance mentality is the only way that you can do that. I live a life of abundance. Let me explain that. Our newest car in our family, and this is our choice, is a 2010 Toyota Camry. The next one is a 2009, the next one after that is a 2006, and the next one out of that is a 1999. That's what it is. It's just, it's just the way it is. I don't, you, you probably look at, you look at my vehicles and be like, yeah, that's not something that I would go out and buy right now, and I'm good with that. I'm pretty good with that because I'm living an abundant life. I like my house. I like my cars. 
I like my, I like my, my family. I like it all. I have an abundance mentality. And it's not the quality of what I have that matters to me. It is the abundance that I'm receiving from the blessing of Almighty God. Everything I have is His. Everything I have is His. And if someone comes in and they want it, good. You can steal it from me. And you can take it, but what I know is God's not going to take care of you because you stole it from me, but he is going to take care of me with all my needs. If I give someone my cloak, this is what I know. God has a cloak for me somewhere down the line. Come on, church. If I give them anything, like they sue me, they take it, oh, wait a minute, you took all my money except for three cents that I have right over here, I'm going to give you that too. What I know is God is not only going to give me my three cents back, but he's also going to supply my needs in the future. I live with an abundance mentality. So when someone comes at you and they're trying to take something from you, generosity rules the day. You become more powerful when you give than when you fight to keep what you have. I'll say that again. You become more powerful when you give than when you fight to keep what you have. So you give the cloak also. And those people that sued you will remember that and they will feel powerless. They could not crush your spirit. They could not crush your inner security. You are still standing when you give. Wow. <clears throat> wow. And what you have to cut out of your life is your attachment to things on this earth. And that hurts. That hurts. Like we, <clears throat> we all want certain things, right? And we can get attached to those certain things. But really... Maybe the thing to take you into tomorrow, to make tomorrow a better day, is to quit being so attached to what you have. This stuff, man, it just doesn't last. It doesn't last. Your house isn't going to last. Your air conditioning system isn't going to last. Your car is going to break down. Your food is going to mold in the refrigerator if you leave eat leftovers for a little while and you don't eat them. It's, it's going to go away. You're not going to be able to eat that particular thing that you got from that restaurant because you never got to it and it's going to spoil, right? Everything spoils in this life. But the abundance that you and ha I have as Christians never spoils. God never deteriorates. He's always the same yesterday, today, and forever. So give because that is the more powerful thing to do. I'm going to end with this. <clears throat> There's a story in Acts, and it's Stephen being stoned. And the interesting thing about him being stoned is he didn't pick up any stones and throw them back, which was normal. If you were being stoned, people would pick up the same stones and kind of fling them back to kind of protect themselves. Stephen didn't do that. <clears throat> so Stephen took every single hit, right, every single hit, and saw who became the Apostle Paul, was standing there watching him being stoned. Stephen worshiped God while he was being stoned. He looked up in heaven and saw Jesus in heaven. He spoke about it. And Saul, who became Paul, saw all of that. That moment impacted that man so much that he refers to it later in Acts as a turning point in his life. Is the meeting of Jesus on the Damascus Road a definite turning around for the Apostle Paul? Absolutely. But before that, there was somebody that was demonstrating Christ's love to the world, being stoned, and he was impacted by that enough to refer to it later. So we might think that generosity, turning the other cheek, and doing things in this particular manner is really the weak thing to do, but I'm telling you, there's something more powerful going on than your inability to win the moment. It is not the moments that we need to win. It is the war. And Jesus Christ has already won the war. So hold on to him and do what he tells us to do as we relate to people. Amen?
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. Um, <clears throat> this is a very tough teaching that you had for us this morning. In some ways, I struggle with it, and I'm sure people in this room have too. But here's what I pray. I pray for the person in this room or the people in this room that need to tear something out of their life so that they will live for you better tomorrow. Maybe they've been doing it their entire life and they just need to cut it out and they need to go through the pain. They need to go through missing it so that they can build their relationship with you better so that they can be more secure on the inside so that they can live with you in a profitable way tomorrow. I pray, Father, that you work on people's hearts that are dealing with that. I pray for the people in this room that have been involved in altercations. It might be in their marriage. It might be at work. It might be with their neighbors. Uh, it might be just yelling at the TV set. I pray that in this moment, Father, that you'll help them pull back from all of that. That you'll show them what it means to turn the other cheek to serve, to think about other people, to live like you would live in that moment. Help them to let go their need to retaliate and help them to understand what it means to respond in love, forgiveness, all the while standing their ground in the correct way. Father, I pray for the person in this room that hasn't received you as their personal savior. And they may have sat through all this today and thought it was absolutely crazy. But maybe the one thing that they're thinking about is this security and they don't have it in their heart. I pray now by the power of the Holy Spirit that you'll show them that they can be secure if they begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. They will not completely understand everything that I said this morning until they do that. So I pray, Father, that you'll draw them to you, draw them to the cross, draw them to the empty tomb, draw them to your life. And so we leave all these situations into your hands, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing this closing song. I'm here today. If you want to join the church, I'd be glad to present you. The altar is open. I will also pray with you as well if you need that. So as we sing.